This episode, we'll be starting with a really interesting idea that people, our listeners might not have known is a Jewish idea because it sounds very reminiscent of another religion. And that's going to be the idea of atoning through someone else, one person suffering on the behalf of someone else and therefore lifting them up, right? It sounds very much like another religion that that we may have heard of. Mm. But this actually is a Jewish idea. Let's dive in now. We are in section two, in the middle of chapter three, number eight. V'amnam milvad kozes. Now, aside from everything else that we've discussed earlier, yesh od inyan acher nimshach mishnei chelkei anhogesh zecharnu, now, there, again, there are two divisions of divine providence of Ashkacha, and that's personal and the collective. Now, Hashem looked over everything, all of the possibilities that could be employed to fix up the, the human race. In order to create this great perfected collective that we've mentioned earlier, that that's the goal, to have this group of humanity that has reached its uh, completion. And it, he saw fit that it should be very appropriate that some people should be able to help other people. To, to benefit them. Perish. What does that mean? So that it shouldn't be that one person is alone in their task for perfecting themselves. That if you employ enough effort, you get there to Lamhaba. Now, ideally, that is the case. Every person is responsible for themselves. But Hashem arranged things that you don't have to be alone in this endeavor. And that if a person is not capable or chooses, let's say, not to perfect themselves to a great degree, there's still another option to get to Olam Haba. Let's say if there's another person who's already perfected himself to whatever degree he needs to reach on his own, a person who has not reached their own perfection could latch on to that person, can connect to that person, and by being dependent on them for their spiritual uh, life, then they can reach Olam Haba vicariously through them and not through their own merit. Is there is there some degree of unfairness to that? I mean, if everyone is expected to to put in their own their own work and some people are, are receiving, I guess, it sounds like a, a greater reward than they had merited. Um, is there, it seems like, um, I don't know, justice isn't, isn't entirely served by that. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem fair, like you said. How can you not earn it for yourself? How can someone I'm, else I'm do not it for you? I'm not complaining. I want to I make it clear. I, I want everybody that we can get in to get in. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's really two questions. One is, how does it work? How could it possibly even work like that? Hmm. And another question is, even, even if it could, how, why is it fair? Well, yeah, the, it's the, the justice thing, right? right? I know we've talked about, I think we're going to talk about some more. Right. So I had a rabbi in Israel, Rabbi Asher Arieli, Shlita. And he had a line 
he said, it means there's, in Yiddish, it means there's a, sec- there's a second line also. <laughs> so we, the next few words that he was about to say is, Rather, this person is going to be relegated to a lower spiritual level, and that level mm-hmm. is going to be something which is inherently connected or dependent on the other person. So before we continue, so what, what that really means is that it is not possible to achieve the same degree of perfection that you would have been able to get on your own. Okay. That you'll never get to. You'll always be on a lower level, and the lower level is experiencing olam haba vicariously through someone else. Which is still, I mean, it sure beats annihilation, and not only that, it's probably better than just about anything we could imagine. Exactly. It beats the alternative. So, but it is quote unquote fair because it's the result of what you did. Mm-hmm. You will experience Olam Haba through the other person because you're only there through them. Okay. But yeah, it's 100% correct. No one can do it for you. No one can get your perfection for you. And is, is that latching on? Is that like something that, that you do intentionally? Uh, could be. Refers to? It could be. In fact, this is a, a very strong principle in the Hasidish movement uh, when Hasidus started was the idea of the tzaddik, the righteous person, the Rebbe, that through being connected to the Rebbe, being connected to the tzaddik, then this person can lift me up and tell them Habba. So there are factions within the Jewish people that have intentionally employed this tactic, mm. uh, although it's clearly not ideal. Everyone should be reaching for their own perfection. Um, but it doesn't hurt to also be deeply connected to someone that's very righteous. Right. And so it can be done intentionally. And as we'll see throughout the rest of this section, it can be done also without the explicit intention of the, of the beneficiaries as well. Now, as you said, it certainly beats annihilation. So that's his point now. And now it comes out that this person has not been completely annihilated, which would have been the alternative. So it comes out that the only person that will be eliminated from reality is someone that's so wicked that not only do they not merit Olam Haba on their own, through all of the opportunities that are available that we've mentioned earlier, but also they're so disconnected from the rest of humanity that they can't be saved by others as well. And so this number is getting smaller and smaller. So through this principle that a person can lift others up and bring others into Olam Haba. So there's a great salvation for humanity that takes place as a result of this principle and many more people are now able to be involved in the collective, which is the goal. Hashem wants to maximize the winners. Now, these people that are the benefactors, these tzaddikim, certainly these people are going to have a, a higher status in the world to come. They're going to be the great ones and they're going to be the ones at the forefront. And the people that need them, the people that are dependent on them, that got into Olam Haba only vicariously through them, they will be subjugated to these people 
and they will need them. Mm. They'll literally need them for existence. Okay. And that's the only way they're there. Now, this still seems like we, we answered the question to a certain degree, how is it fair? What we haven't yet answered and what he did just with that sentence is, how is it possible? How can it be that one person can lift up another? And according to all these principles, I am my own existence. Mm-hmm. How can someone else affect that? And so what he mentioned here is that Hashem initially created human beings in a way that we're all interconnected. And especially the Jewish people share, if you trace our souls back far enough to their roots, we share one entity. Mm. And so we really are connected. And this is the principle that he says that our sages have mentioned. Every Jew is a guarantor for another Jew. So the, when that phrase is mentioned, it's often in a very practical, halachic sense that, let's say, if someone has a mitzvah obligation, then that obligation is not only theirs, I'm responsible to make sure that they are fulfilling that obligation. This is one of the bases for the principle of doing outreach, why we, we care that other Jews are successful and are winning, because we're, we're all connected. Right. Uh, I mean, this is, uh, this is definitely like the first time that I've considered... Uh, I know that we have as the goal, um, you know, to to do good, be good, better ourselves, improve ourselves, and improve the world, as uh, one of the rabbis at at Aish said. Um, and that makes perfect sense, and it's easy for us to to kind of grab onto that. Um, but this is, I think, the first time that I've considered the the loss that we experience when someone who should make it into olam haba or should merit um, the the better things of existence doesn't do it and it feels like i mean that's a failure on on our part so it's for the first time hearing this uh like like there's an obligation to to try to bring people closer to god yes 100% and, and that's, that's what love does. We have a mitzvah to love our fellow Jews, not just because it's nice, because what love is, love is a bond. And love is a, a very intimate bond of sense of identity. More than just we're, that we're connected, it's that my sense of self expands beyond my own personal experiences, and my own body, my character that I'm playing in this world. My sense of self expands to include more people. And that's what big people are. That's what, what it means to be gadol in Hebrew. A gadol, a, a great person, is someone who is literally big because their self includes not only their own little person, but the entire Jewish people. Well, I know that um, you know people do that with their immediate family. We're able to to set to set aside even our own personal well being uh, for the for the family unit. Um, so. That makes sense. I mean, your family, your immediate family, uh, is basically how much capacity do you have to extend out uh, your your love of yourself mm-hmm. uh, to encompass other people? Exactly. Okay. So before we get too too much farther sidetracked, let's continue. Kihine 
על ידי זה נמצאים מסקשים קצוסים בקצוסים ולא נפרדים איש לעצמי. So as a result of this, now all this principle of being connected and loving each other, it's all for this purpose, so that we're able to help each other and that human beings are able to elevate other humans and we're, we can bring each other into the collective. So now it turns out that we're all connected and there is no such thing, no man is an island. There is no such thing as a person being a completely isolated individual. We know that human beings are social creatures, but now we understand even deeper that we are spiritually connected. Now, the positive trait always overpowers the negative trait, which means in this case, so if one person can bring down the Jewish people with a sin, which is usually the connotation of every Jew is a guarantor for his fellow. We have to make sure that we're not sinning because I'm going to be held accountable. Mm. That's, I mean, that's the connotation of a guarantor, right? Right. You default on your loan. Now I have to take care of it. Right. So that's usually the connotation of that statement. So once we know that that's true, if I have to pay for your debts, so all the more so we can help each other. And then if one person brings merit into the Jewish people, we all benefit. V'amnam. So because this is now possible, it's now been arranged that a person who is a tzaddik, someone that has perfected themselves to whatever degree, they should now experience additional suffering. And that is not for their own sake, because for their own calculation, they're, they're, let's say they're done. This suffering helps as an atonement for their generation. And now it's an obligation. It's incumbent upon these tzaddikim to accept with love this hardship, these pains that will be a benefit to their generation the same way that they would accept with love any hardship that they would experience that they know would be for their own spiritual benefit. Because now these people are uniquely suited for this task. They're the only ones that can lift up this generation. It becomes their obligation. That's a, that's a serious obligation. But I, you know, believe me, it's worth it. With this act of accepting suffering with love, to to benefit their generation, to serve as an atonement. He himself, because he's done that, achieves much higher levels. So this is for the Oh, benefit. so you mean it's literally worth it for the tzaddik? Yes. He he continue he elevates much higher than he ever could have on his own. He now becomes one of the forefront in the world to come, like we mm. said. Now, that's not just the fact that he has, now he's been promoted, he has an elevated status, but think about what he's done now. In addition to perfecting himself, he is now personally responsible, directly responsible for bringing in all of these souls into Olam Haba, which would not have been there otherwise. Reconnecting them to the to the whole. Yeah, how could that not be wow. rewarded? Vu'ulam, mizeh suk now, within this category itself, we find an even higher level than that which we've just mentioned. And 
Let's say a generation, God forbid, will be in a terrible state that the generation's actions, the Jewish people of that time, would deserve to be maybe even annihilated. God forbid. It's happened in history. There have been divine decrees upon the Jewish people. And one tzaddik, through additional suffering, serves as an atonement and saves the entire Jewish people. Think about that. So it not only helps them, saves their lives literally in this world, but brings them into the world to come. Mordechai and Esther come to mind. So there's an even higher level than that. And that's people that, up until now, the tzaddik that we've been talking about has been a righteous person, but maybe they still had room for improvement. Well, let's talk about someone now, uh, some of the chassidim, which literally means pious ones, people that have gone above and beyond and that have really perfected themselves to the extent that is possible for, for their own personal role in this world. And they receive additional suffering. And this is only to serve as, as an assistance of to bring the world closer to its perfection. And what that means is now let's zoom out. Let's address some points that we've already mentioned earlier in the book. By default, when the world is created, when human beings are created, the standard is a person will already need to endure some hardship. No pain, no gain. They'll need to go through some things already to achieve perfection because we're created in a state of imperfection. Okay, so the baseline is not neutral. Well, like... So you're neutral between perfection and imperfection, maybe, but you're not neutral as far as there's there's going to be some suffering. That that part's basically guaranteed. Right. We're created. It depends what you mean by neutral, but we're not created in a state of perfection. We're, mm -hmm. we're created in a state of imperfection to give us the opportunity to perfect ourselves and earn that closeness to God, as right. we've spoken about extensively. And I think we've already covered that we're not exactly neutral because, because of that... Uh, um, Sin because of, because of the <laughs> right um, so yeah we actually have some some ground to make up to even get to neutral exactly so already to achieve perfection this is on an individual level the human level and on a universal level there already needed to be some amount of hardship to endure in order to reach perfection and now all the more so that more of a concealment of light hiddenness of Hashem's face Hester upon him has occurred as a result of sin. This is one of the foundations that we've mentioned about what the state of man is, as we've mentioned earlier in the book. So all the more so we need to endure this suffering repair for all of the sin that we've generated on top of that. And this increases more of a hiddenness of Hashem and creates what we would call evil. Now it turns out that the world is in a very lowly state 
of evil and darkness. And we need to repair this. There is a calculation here. The world has been hidden. The world has been submerged in darkness to a certain degree, and it's an exacting degree. There's metaphysics to this, as we've mentioned over and over again. There's a system. It's not arbitrary, and it's, uh, and it's not approximate. It's very exact. And therefore, in order to fix it, people need to accept responsibility and endure the punishment for the crime. And this punishment is not an act of vengeance, it's an act of rectification. Mm. To the point where the trait of justice is appeased. People have messed the world up, people need to account for it, and we need to balance the equation here. Now, we've just said now something which doesn't seem to add up. We've just said that a person, one person, has the potential, the ability to accept upon himself if he's, if he's already, let's say, a pre-perfected person. He's gotten to that right. level on his own already. And he takes on additional suffering that can fix up many people, maybe even the entire world. Right, this doesn't seem possible. How could that be possible? How does the equation get balanced if there's so much justice that needs to be met? Well, and like how much, uh, granted, some people receive much more suffering than they deserve, clearly. We, we see that in the world. Do but, we? Well, <laughs> okay, you're right. Um, we, see, we see people receiving much more uh, suffering than others, certainly. True. Um, so there's a, there's a disparity. But I would be hard-pressed to point out anyone who I think is receiving, and it's hard to put numbers to it, um, but like, you know, we'd be talking thousands, millions of times more suffering uh, than, than anybody else. Right. So when we're talking about this calculation, the world is in darkness. There's a certain amount, and we caused it, right? If we could attach quantitative units to this level of evil that needs to be rectified, right? Whatever that number is, how could it possibly be taken out by one person? What amount of suffering could equal the cumulative suffering that all of these people would have would have had to endure in order to fix their situation? It's right. not possible. Right. So Hashem decreed that, that it is possible, that a person can take on the trait of justice and that it shouldn't affect others, that he can atone for all of these other people. The answer is, without asking the question overtly the way we did, he already answers it. Since these people, from their own perspective on, and their own calculation, they're already relatively perfect, right? No, no human being is, is perfect with a capital P, but this person has accomplished what they need to in this world. It comes out that this suffering is only on behalf of other people. So certainly the trait of justice is going to be sated with a small amount of suffering for someone that doesn't deserve it on his own as if it would be a large amount for people that do deserve it. So let's... Rephrase oh, that. Please. 
what this really means is we can't look at it in terms of just purely quantitative units. Quantitative units of suffering. Exactly. But rather... The quality of suffering for someone that doesn't deserve it is different than someone that does deserve it. So this person taking on additional suffering just for other people, that counts for way more than if someone would just accept their own punishment for something that they actually deserve. Mm. And therefore, it does balance the equation. So do these people exist? And if so, where can I find them? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if we can find them, but uh, they do exist. Uh, So do these people exist in each generation? That I don't know. Okay. I'm not actually going to go look for one of them and try to give him my suffering. But, but they have. this isn't purely theoretical. They have existed. There are accounts in the Gemara and the Talmud of people that have done things like this. Mm-hmm. And not only that. So not only are, if by taking on this additional suffering, they're able to enact this atonement for all these people, but because they've done this and because now they're elevated from doing it, they become stronger and they become now even more capable of taking on additional things in order to help people. And you have this positive snowball effect of a tzaddik becoming greater and more capable of lifting up his generation the more he takes on. To the point where it's theoretically possible for a person to not only atone for their own generation, but even from the beginning of the world until now, all sin is theoretically possible for retroact- one person to do. Retroactively atone for for sin that occurred, or I guess it wouldn't be retro. It's atoning for sin that occurred in the past. Sure, so yeah, it's just it's the same way the- that it happens with us. Exactly. Yeah, the, a person. There's debts. There's debts. Okay. in the world, spiritual debt, and this person can wipe it all out. Hmm. So these individuals who are able to do this, certainly they will be at the front of the front in Olam Haba. And so this is the only time that the Ramchal has ever said this, of confidently ranking people in Olam Haba. This is where he said, you know how to get to the front? You not only perfect yourself, you take on additional responsibility for others, and that catapults you to the front because now, again, you're personally responsible for bringing all of these souls into Olam Haba that wouldn't have been there otherwise, and there's there's no substitute for that. Now, in Section 9, there isn't really any new information. He's just describing the same system that we just mentioned earlier he says, Everything that we've mentioned up until now, we've been speaking about it in the context of what makes sense, of judgment and how things work, how things should work. So now in this small section, he goes over all of that just from the perspective of what's really happening in reality, as opposed to why things should work legally, what's really happening on a metaphysical level. We can describe this also from a reality perspective. That's the way it appears. Like we've mentioned earlier. Now we know that what sin is, what it really is, is that it's an increase in impurity, spiritual impurity that infects 
people and the world. And it causes the light of Hashem, the perception of Hashem, the revelation of Hashem to be concealed. And through the purging of this impurity, by default, the world becomes cleaner from it. So then, consequently, the light of Hashem can be revealed in that world when there's nothing blocking it, when there's no more infection. Then the light can spread. This suffering is what purges that impurity. Now, how exactly that works, why exactly it works, I, I don't know. But enduring hardship purges that impurity. Whether on a personal, individual level and on a universal level as well. And through the suffering of these great ones, people that are already perfected, they're doing it on behalf of everyone else, it's possible to purge this impurity from the entire world. And brings the world closer and closer to its perfection. Now, purging this impurity from the entire world, does that, I mean, does that imply that the entire world, because of this kind of, uh, I don't want to say imbalanced, uh, but this this multiplier that the, the righteous tzaddik has, are we talking about cleansing the entire world of sin? Right. Yeah, that's the goal. Okay. I mean, yeah, it just it seems like... Uh, well, it depends what you mean by sin. I just mean like, like all of it. <laughs> it doesn't change people's hearts necessarily. A person could still be capable of sin. What it does is it, it cleans the account. Sin causes an effect in this world. The sin is a person's behavior. Sin is a person's decision mm-hmm. to do something immoral. When a person acts oh. on that, it creates darkness in the world. But so cleansing sin doesn't create perfection. It just kind of brings you back up to neutral, as we were talking earlier. Well, it could. It could create perfection because what perfection is, is a revelation of Hashem. Mm-hmm. And so as long, in order to create that, you don't need to build anything because Hashem is. You need to remove the blockage. And that consequently fills the world with light. Okay. Now, in number 10, he's going to cover an idea which seems like you might think would be a whole chapter on it, but he really just brushes right through it, and that's the idea of reincarnation. So he doesn't give a lot of details about this. In fact, he intentionally doesn't speak a lot about it he just wants us to know that there is this principle of reincarnation and it helps fit into this context of why do things happen to people? Not necessarily why do bad things happen. That's been the common thread of this entire chapter. Mm. Why is, is someone rich and someone's poor? Why is someone have to endure this amount of hardship or, or not? So he's just listing off all of the theoretical calculations that could be involved. And this is one of them. Number 10. There's another principle that's involved in how Hashem runs the world. There's another path for recourse for a person that can save them. Like we've mentioned, 
that one neshama, one soul, can come into this world several times in different bodies. And through this, a soul is able to rectify something one time that it had destroyed in a previous life. Or to perfect something, to build something that it had not done, it had neglected in a previous life. Is there still, and, and maybe this, is, this answer is obvious, um, but is there still the opportunity to destroy something that it had previously perfected? I mean, it sounds like, like kind of a gamble. He doesn't say this, although I have heard uh, from Kabbalists that a portion of the soul comes down that is only the not perfected part. Oh. So I have heard, although I can't verify it through my own study, but I have heard that you cannot ruin what you've previously done, although you can still ruin this opportunity. Hmm. That's pretty cool, though. By the way, the Kabbalists also say that by in our times and already before our times, there are no new souls in the world. We are all on our maybe several return visits. Hmm. So this applies to all of us. Now, after all of these reincarnations, there will be a final judgment on that soul. That is in accordance, takes into account all of its incarnations here in this world. And all of its situations and states that it was in, in its respective lives. Now, it's possible, this is why it's relevant here in this chapter, it's possible that something will happen to a person in this world, that a person will have to experience some things as a result of what had happened in a previous life. And a person is placed in this state. So a person might have to be placed in this world not in accordance with what he deserves necessarily here from this life or from his parents or all these other factors that we've already mentioned. It could be from what this soul had experienced in a previous life needs to be in a certain situation here. Oh, wow. So that adds another layer. So you see someone suffering. You don't know if it's... I, I, what, what is the list at this point? I mean, it could be now we know from a previous incarnation of his soul, it could be due to some suffering that, that he has merited in this life as a form of atonement, um, or it could be uh, in order to provide an obstacle for him to grow. Uh, like We have no idea why people suffer like in in an individual case right and that's going to be exactly what he's going to be explaining right now now hashem's judgment on a person is perfect and exact in all of its elements perish what that means is with every element of this person's situation taken into account Nothing can possibly happen to a person that Hashem will have any blame for that's not true. It's all perfect. A person is placed in this state, given certain tasks, according to the perfect wisdom of Hashem, 
of what this person needs. And according to that, relative to all these situations that Hashem placed them in, is how they will be judged. And this is what you've mentioned. There are innumerable calculations that go into a person's state and, and their resurrection and their reincarnations. How a person is judged in this current incarnation, in this current life, and other lives that they lived before taken into account. But everything is perfectly accounted for. There's a verse in the Torah, in Deuteronomy, the Creator's work is perfect and all of His ways are just. And it's impossible for a person to, to calculate how a person is judged in this world. It's on, only Hashem is privy to this information, not even the angels. It's just that we are aware of the principles. We know that there is such a thing as reincarnation. We know that, that these are ways, these are factors and considerations. So we know the principles. That's what we're made aware of. But how they're applied is impossible for us to calculate. We just know that one of the factors, one of the calculations for why something would happen to someone in this world is reincarnation. And according, and this fits into the greater calculation of all of these different laws and rules that Hashem operates this world with. It's all for our benefit and for the ultimate perfection. Now in number 11, we're going to start wrapping this up and summarizing. Nimsu lufi kol comes out from everything that we've explained in this chapter. There are many different reasons why something could happen to a person in this world. Whether for the good or for the bad. Now, it's not to say that anything that happens to a person is a direct result of all of these reasons together. It's possible that from all of these possible reasons, something could happen from one of them, or maybe from a combination of a couple of them. Now, Hashem in His infinite wisdom knows perfectly what is needed in any situation. Hashem in his, in his consideration is weighing out all of these things together. And it's through that, through this perfect weighing of this calculation that he runs the world. It's impossible that all of these factors will be able to play together evenly. Many times, it's possible that one reason could override another. For example, it could be that as a result of a person's 
ancestral merit, he should merit wealth. But according to his actions, his actions say he should be poor. And according to some greater calculation, it could be either wealth or poverty. Now, even within a person's own actions, it's possible that a person does one thing. The judgment should be that he should merit some great goodness. And according to some other action that he did, that demands that that goodness be taken away from him. The infinite wisdom of Hashem is perfectly weighing out and determining the best possible solution for a person. And is preparing the world for each individual the way they need it. Things will happen to a person according to one of these reasons that we've mentioned in this chapter. Now, for whatever reason it is, we have now covered all of the reasons. In this chapter, we know why things happen to people. We know at least all of the principles. There is nothing that will happen to someone that's random. Anything that happens to a person will be because of at least one of these reasons that we've mentioned earlier. The details of how they're applied is impossible for a person to know, but he says, But now that we've already seen this chapter, we know all of these principles, we know a lot. Even though we're incapable of applying them, we now have a tremendous amount of insight that that is helpful. Does this give us any insight, uh, clearly not into other people, but but to ourselves, like why I might be suffering in this moment? Is there any way, is there any way at all to know, is my suffering caused by me, my dumb behavior, my sins, or or is this coming from a previous incarnation? Is this coming from my, my great-grandfather? Um, it's a good question. It's a good question because the, the, the answer is no. The way you asked it, the answer is no. You'll never be able to know 100% why something's happening to you. Nevertheless, we are encouraged to analyze our behavior. Our sages have said that if something happens to us that is, that is unpleasant, we in, endure some hardship, the reaction that we should have is to examine our actions. Maybe this is, we have to be concerned, maybe this is a result of my actions because that's all I have control over. Mm-hmm. I have no control over my previous incarnations. I have no control over the place that I'm born or all of my ancestors, all of these reasons that we've mentioned. The only thing that I have any say in is my behavior and my actions. So I have to be concerned, maybe this is a result of my actions. So if something does happen, my obligation is, is this something that I can fix? Is there something that's going on with me that I can do? So the answer really is no, you can't know, but that doesn't obviate your obligation to to try to, to fix it. Okay. Now, the final conclusion to our chapter, number 12, we, we mentioned something at the end of number 11, which is not entirely accurate. We just said that there is nothing that happens to a person that doesn't fit into one of those reasons. And what we're about to see in number 12 is that that's not entirely true. There's another category. And you have to know, 
There are two types of things that happen to a person. One type of thing that happens to a person is a purposeful event. And the other is a facilitatory event. Perish, tachlisim, what it means, a purposeful event. The purposeful events are everything that we've mentioned in this chapter. That a person needs this thing to happen to him for some direct result that's going to improve that person's either life directly or opportunity for advancement. Mm. The emtsayim, but the facilitatory events, they're just a means to something else. It's just to facilitate some other event that really could happen to, that really does have a direct purpose. This is a verse from Yeshaya, from Isaiah. I thank you, Hashem, for you have shown me anger, which sounds strange. And our sages explained that, for example, what that means is shenishbara regal parasai. Let's say a person's cow breaks his, breaks its leg, v'nafla, and then the cow falls, and then in that brush wherever the cow fell, he went to go find the cow, and he finds a treasure there, and that ends up much more valuable than the broken leg of this cow had lost him. Or let's say something happens to a person that's negative, that really he doesn't deserve that. Let's say a person misses their flight. He says their boat trip. Let's make mm. it more relevant. person misses their flight. He gets held up in traffic and then they miss the flight. He really needed to go for some reason. He says the, the boat sank in the sea or the plane crashes. Right? So now... You didn't deserve to miss your flight. But now your life has been saved. Exactly. And it could be that a person really does directly need these facilitatory events. Or maybe it's for someone else. Maybe you're just being used as a pawn for another person. That something good or bad should happen to someone else. You're still not random. Even though you're being used as a pawn, he's saying here that Hashem judges everything completely accurately. Just as, a, just as Hashem analyzes and evaluates what a person needs to happen to them, so too with these facilitatory events, even these facilitatory events that happen to you, you're being used, that still fits perfectly into the calculation and it's perfect for you as well. And it all fits into this perfectly designed plan. With that, we finish chapter three. Wow. Yeah, I, thinking about this stuff, especially with this last part, you, I can see how one might uh, find it like, overwhelming like oh there's so many things going on in the world and i can't possibly know the cause of any of them so how can i even act but i think if you approach it from the right perspective uh, and i know for me i can say it gives you uh, a significant degree of peace uh, because god is the one running this i don't have to go and list out you know my 
these these detailed plans that pale in comparison to what the creator of the universe um, is is actually running behind the scenes. He's got this. Right. Yeah. The, the anguish that comes from bad things happening is a sense of of chaos. You, like things aren't going according to plan. Well, the answer is things aren't going according to your plan. <laughs> right. So it doesn't mean things won't be challenging, but you can remove the anguish and the sense of suffering and torture that a, and torment that a person will endure when hard things happen, when they realize that this is all fitting into a system. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. We'll continue next time. Thank you, Rabbi.